What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the 4-8 Men Podcast. I am so glad and so uh, happy for my guest today. He is Miles Fidel. He is a husband, a father, a pastor in uh, Auburn, Alabama at Auburn Community Church. And he's one of my good friends, and uh, he loves to work out, and he loves Jesus. So I'm so thankful that he is on the podcast today. It's been a uh, it's, it's 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 been a few weeks of me trying to trying to get his schedule to uh, to fit in, but I'm glad he's on. You know what, Christian? We're here now, and I am so excited to be on this with you today. I'm so pumped and just proud of all God's done in and through your life, from a college student just figuring out the future to how God's using you now. So thank you for having me on this. I'm excited about this convo. Well, I mean, seriously, man, Auburn is definitely one of my favorite places in the world. And I know that I probably would not be doing this podcast or um, a lot of the things that we're doing with ministry if if, if Auburn um, hadn't had that key, that, that, um, that key role in my life. So very thankful for Auburn, very thankful for you and the church. But uh, so before we get into, into, into faith and spiritual stuff, I want to talk about... Um, just some different physical stuff and some different uh, training stuff. So with that, um, you know, what has that journey been like through with fitness and sports and um, just all those things that you've done leading up to your life? Yeah, so growing up passionate about sports and so many different opportunities in athletics, but I, I became really passionate about fitness right after college and getting married because for a lot of us who grew up playing sports you don't really plan for when your life transitions to sitting down in a job or no longer having the time or just the mandate of going to practice every day or having these things happening and so working out has to become something that you schedule to be a part of your life but not only that uh, my journey has been one where what I am doing from a physical standpoint either athletically or just something fitness related has had a direct equivalent with the state of my soul. And so I, I notice, like if I'm not working out and if I don't have some type of physical outlet for uh, the energy that God has put inside of me, then I'm going to burn out or I'm going to go to a bad place mentally. And so uh, I became way more passionate about lifting and sort of a more CrossFit type workout of the day, looking for high interval training opportunities. So it went from just any sport I could play, basketball, football, soccer, whatever, to, man, let's organize this and get serious about different muscle groups in your body and make sure that your whole body is getting hit on a weekly basis because it's had a direct impact on the state of my soul. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I know um, even for me, like, you know, when I was in Auburn, we we would go do workouts together and we would do mm-hmm. um all those different fun, high intensity stuff. And even at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned how Auburn's ranked number one in basketball. And you just talked about sports a little bit with basketball and, and football, but you were actually a, a, a hometown legend in basketball. Oh, um, that, is, that is a bold statement. I was an above average high school point guard. So uh, who played against a lot of guys who were amazing at basketball, but uh, I, I used to play basketball. What? Well, you still you still play basketball. You still always go up to the wreck and play basketball. I do. But what was it? What, what was it about basketball that drew you to that? Well, it probably growing up wasn't my best sport, but the nonstop action, the fact that one play ends, the next one's beginning, and I'm not I'm not hating on baseball or football, but there are quick stops between a lot of the action, particularly in baseball, which was my best sport growing up. And I just told my dad, I was like, I. 
I know this is probably my best sport, but I just want to play basketball. I want the action of nonstop running, catch your breath when somebody else is shooting free throws, and then go and just go crazy the entire game. So I got drawn to that, even though it probably wasn't my best sport. And now I play with a group of guys very, very early in the morning, several times a week now. And for for the competitive nature of guys who have to reel that back for a lot of life later, it's so good to have an outlet to go and play. And and, and sometimes maybe uh, get a little bit too competitive because it's better for it to come out on the basketball court than in another avenue of life. So I am a, a five foot ten former high school basketball player. I do not have stories about in college on ESPN. I did this. Nope. By then I was uh, playing intramural flag football. So hey, you were you were on the local news back then. Then I was. I was. Yeah. You were. Well, I'm so same, proud man. of like it and thought year, it defined my life. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Well, last year we did um, we did a uh, like a basketball league. Uh, Willie, so my father in law, wanted to wanted to start this basketball league, or not start it, but just kind of build the team for it. So we had probably seven or eight guys, and shoot, some of the games we'd have four show up. And um, but I think there was like A league, B league, C league, and I think we won the championship for like C league. And we thought it was like the biggest deal. Um, we had like, there's probably like. How are two, you not playing in A League? What? Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a lot of talented people that come out to play in the in these in these in these little league things. I mean, we played some teams and we got beat. It would be like 100 to like 50, um, and we'd get smoked. But so, you're are you six? Are you six two, six three? Yeah, I'm six two. But but what I'm saying is. I I was good, but um, and I'm not throwing the rest of the team under the bus. We had some players who uh, who hadn't played in a little bit, and um, <laughs> when you faced guys who are very uh, more athletic than uh, the vast majority of your team, then you really don't stand a chance. But no, I was saying that to say we got so into it. Like we would have yeah. we would have so John Luke runs that runs Camp Chioka here, and we'd have. 100 or 50 of their camp counselors come to the games kind of when the season was was ending and camp was starting and it would just be crazy and i i, I think we all got way into it um but it was good it was, it was a nice it was a nice outlet to be competitive and and to do all those things so um because christian will surprise you christian you look like you're a former football player super strong but you, there's some finesse to your basketball game. You you that can shoot threes. Sometimes you shoot a little too many. And and Sadie's the same way. When when I was out there at Camp Chioka for a weekend, we started playing basketball. And I was like, oh, I did not know Sadie could play basketball. And that day that we were out there, I don't know if you remember this. You were making everything. Like oh, every three you I threw up was going in. Oh, I remember that day. There's, awesome. I remember that because they're uh, they're far they're few and far between. So I remember the yeah. I remember the games where I'm hot. Um, but yeah. we had, I mean, I think I think one game we had like two techs against us, or not 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 us, but the other team because there was some pushing and shoving going around, and mm-hmm. we had one guy get thrown out. It was just it was pretty it was pretty intense. But um, it's always that, good. That's not the fun part of it. Like. Play, playing with a group of guys who can rein it in and actually be mature is one thing, but uh, reliving your childhood and guys getting overly angry about things that don't matter is partly humorous, but a good reminder of your maturity in Christ if it doesn't bother you anymore. It's very humorous, and it definitely keeps you humble. Um, it definitely keeps you humble for sure, but 
Um, you know, as I said earlier, you, you're a pastor at this huge church in Auburn. You're a husband, a father. Um, you travel, you do so many different things. How do you carve time um, out? You said in the mornings you could play basketball. But how do you carve times out for, you know, going to the gym, being um, active in those areas? Um, and like, how has that adapted over the years since having kids and, you know, with another one on the way? It has to, and it gets harder and harder um, as responsibilities grow. And then as there are just key moments that you want to be home for. Uh, if I would have told myself a couple of years ago that I'd be getting up as early as I get up now, I would have laughed in your face. But the reality is your days change as your seasons change. And so um, our church started seven or eight years ago, and my wife and I moved here from the Atlanta area, and God got a hold of it and has taken off and grown like crazy among college students and the community here. So pastoring a church of 30 at the very beginning was a different daily schedule than pastoring a church of 3000, um, maybe more than that. Like it is right now. I have an employee who apparently is printing something right behind me right now. So it's, it's busy all the time and there's stuff going on that I can't always even control. But on top of that, we have two little girls, a third one on the way in March and I am freaking out excited but at the same time nervous about how this is going to work with my schedule and with how things go moving forward the way I've gone about carving out time is knowing what's a non-negotiable for me and what is something that I can flex on and communication with my wife has been key because ahead of time, we know for her to be healthy physically, spiritually, and mentally, and for me to be healthy on all three of those things, we have to have our time to work out. So if, I, if we can meet ahead of time and go, I'm going to get a window right here before I get home, or I'm definitely getting up at 4.50 on this day to go and play basketball, then I'm going to do it. But intentionality and scheduling goes hand in hand with whether or not it happens when you have kids and a demanding schedule. But for me, it, it's, it's never something that's like, oh, I guess I won't work out this week. No, no, no. I'm not going to be in a good headspace if it doesn't happen. So we got to make sure it happens ahead of time. And if that's at five o'clock in the morning, it is what it is. And I know there's young guys listening right now. It's like, I'll never do that. You watch when you have kids, stuff changes. Oh, it definitely. I mean, even, I mean, even after me and Sadie had honey, it would be, I'm not near on the, on the old four fifty. but I mean, some days it'd be six, six thirty, and I'd, and I'd get up early and, um, I mean, it is, man. It, it's, it becomes a sacrifice, you know, because I don't want to, you know, neglect time with Sadie and time with Honey. So if if, if that's still going to be such a vital aspect of my life and such, something so important, then I'm still going to find time to make it happen, whether it's early in the morning or, you know, later in the afternoon or at night or, or some other time. But I definitely agree with you. I definitely need that time just to, you know, vent or not, not, yeah. not even necessarily vent, but just, just have, ha- have that space to, to have that outlet to. Just work and so much work of, out all of physical health is sleep too. So it's not that oh I just get up earlier. No, we go to bed a lot earlier. Like you start having kids and you're hitting nine o'clock and going all right. Well, uh, all that's left to do right now is fall asleep. And you're not you're not pushing eleven and midnight like you used to, which is a good thing. So still getting plenty of sleep. But I have found since having kids and since everything's kind of gone crazy at the church that. Um, my days are ending faster, which I think is a good thing because a lot of us waste time before bed at night and we're scrolling through 
meaningless bits of information and it's not good for our brains. It's not good for our sleep. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go to bed. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. But you said earlier, you know, even just with you and Courtney, how, how much of the physical aspect of your, of your life and even just, you know, training physically, being fit and those different things have had the spiritual implications on your life. What are some like key, like specific things that that you've seen in your life? Like the more active I am, the more, you know, in this headspace I am of, of, of carving out time to go to the gym. How, how is that directly related to you spiritually? One, I, I don't think you can separate the two when you read the New Testament and how much how we treat our bodies is intertwined with how we connect with God. And I could go to a multitude of different verses about that, but it's helped me make sense of why God in the Old Testament was as serious about the dietary restrictions for his people as he was. A lot of people read into that and they go, oh, it's just God not letting his people eat this and eat that, and they got to be holy and set apart and look different. No doubt that's a huge part of it. But another big part of it is... They were eating healthier than all the other nations. Have you ever noticed in the book of Daniel how Daniel and his friends, when they ask the, uh, who, who is that, the officer in Babylon, like, let us eat the food that we're supposed to eat. You have your people eat the food they're supposed to eat. And then we'll compare who's in better shape after a certain season. And all of a sudden at the end of that season, they're going, no, it's Daniel and his friends who look better and feel better. The reason why... I believe God put so many of those restrictions on his people is because he knows how life is best lived. And so for me, my commitment to fitness, to working out, but also to nutrition, to getting enough sleep goes hand in hand with my discipleship to Jesus. It, it has connected so much with, okay, I'm, I'm treating this person poorly. I'm not paying attention to this opportunity and I'm getting overwhelmed. Oh yeah, and I've ate terrible five straight meals and my last workout I was kind of really lazy with it, haven't scheduled the next one. And so I found that my connection to Jesus when I intertwine it with my physical fitness, it fires on all cylinders. And what I mean by that is I can go 20 or 30 minutes of working out listening to a podcast, but I can also blast worship music and whisper prayers to God. And the, the amount of confidence that that gives me and my identity in him, I'll walk into the gym sometimes feeling a million miles away from God and walk out going, I'm ready to do what God has called me to do. I know my identity. I'm a son of God. Just because that time, it wasn't spent over in a corner just reading my Bible. It was spent meditating on the things of God as my body got to exert something. And I've seen a connection there that is undeniable. I don't ever preach on Sundays without working out that morning ever because I just feel so much closer to the Lord on the back end of it man that's so encouraging to hear because I'm I mean I'm I'm the same like I've throughout this podcast I've I've made a point to say that that if I don't if I don't view my workouts as a you know time of 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 training myself spiritually then I'm not going to be in the right headspace if I'm listening Mm -hmm. to something in the gym that's not either a sermon or if it's not worship then I'll be quick to, you know, go in the space of, of, of what I, what I look like. And, and I, it, it takes away from my, my time with God. And the more that I'm filling that physical training time with, with spiritual stuff, then it makes me more aware of those around me. And even just to go share the gospel with somebody, if, if, 
if someone's lifting me on a spot or if I just get in a if I get into a conversation with someone, the more that I'm filling my things with the things of Jesus, then the more that the more that I'm filling my mind with those things, then I'm going to be far more um, aware of those around me, and that's going to so play good. huge benefits in, in in my life spiritually. Um, but I'm the same man. If I don't if I don't fill myself with spiritual stuff while I'm training physically, then I just make it all about mm-hmm. the physical stuff. And sometimes when I do, God opens my eyes to other people and I can have a selfish ambition to working out. It's more about me getting my time of no one bothering me. I got headphones in and I'll be at the gym and it'll be like, all I want to do is be alone. Nobody talk to me. I literally have AirPods in. I don't want to talk to anyone and yeah. someone in need will come up to me. And it's like, I know I don't want to bother you but my son is going through this and just need prayer and just need this. And I think about Jesus's ministry where the interruption was the assignment to what God had called him to. So many conversations where he's trying to get alone, he's trying to get away from his father and the very thing that God has called him to happened to be an interruption that happened on the way. So that's been a big part um, of, of mine because so many people around the community are a part of our church and just getting out there around people who are hurting and broken and not making it a selfish endeavor is huge. Yeah. Well, that's even like me and Sadie were looking at that the other day. I'm pretty sure when Jesus fed the 5,000, they were going to rest. And then it said that they recognized him. So I think, I think literally when he, when he made, when he did the, when he did the miracle of, of the, the, the fish and the loaves to the 5,000, he was, him and his disciples were going to rest on the countryside and then they spotted him and then they recognized him. And then he performed that miracle. I'm pretty and sure. it, it says when he saw them, he felt compassion on them because yeah. they were like sheep without a shepherd, even though in his mind, this is this is something I cannot believe you just brought that up because this is something God has been showing me at such a deep level lately. In his mind, he's going, me and my disciples, we have been loaded from the past season of ministry. I've got to get them away. I've got to let us catch our breath. And that's such a good thing. And everything he's doing lines up with God being a God of rhythms and not, not overdoing it, not overexerting, but yet his compassion to see people and go, I might be exhausted, but the reason why I'm here is to help them. And Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about mental health and, and this podcast, physical health and how they're all intertwined. But for me, there, there can be a temptation to go, Hey, I've got to make sure I'm healthy and I'm good. But some of that can be selfish and God's going, Mm -hmm. I didn't send you to Auburn so that you could go have time with me and work out and feel good. I sent you here so that sheep would have someone to care for them and to pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. And so, man, I, how many conversations I've heard in our church and through people who have gone at the gym, at the gym, at the gym, I don't know why, a lot of people are more open to community when it's intertwined with fitness. And so mm-hmm. a conversation breaks out at the least likely time. And all of a sudden somebody's coming to church for the first time simply because the person they work out with was bold yeah. enough to say something. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's literally the reason I started this. Cause I kept having that happen at the gym. I would just get into the end of these spiritual conversations and I was like, maybe I should start something on, on, you know, spiritual aspects and physical aspects. And that was really when, this verse was just kind of birthed into that because it, it, it really just kept happening. I kept, somebody would um, need a spot and I would help them. Then it would get into, you know, where are you from? Why are you here? Oh, ministry. Oh, I need to get back into church. Oh, well, come to church. 
And then it's like, it, it's, it's this little thing like that. And that just kept happening. And I was like, I really need to, you know, need to start something on this and really capitalize on this because I do think that it's something that's missing. And I think that it, I think that the gym is such an easy place to, you know, to minister to people. I'm glad you are. And I, I think you have hit the nail on the head of something that can be so self-seeking and, you know, I've, I, I talk to college students all the time and even young adults in our church who our culture has made an idol out of the pursuit of your physical body being in shape to a certain degree. And, and you've talked about this in your own testimony, but when the mirror and an obsession with self image becomes the, like, the vanity of that, the pursuit of, I feel about myself based on the gains that I see in the mirror versus this is a pursuit of my spiritual, mental, emotional well-being. And this is an opportunity for God to use something I'm passionate about to see other people. It, it is day and night, flesh versus Holy Spirit. Who is this about and what is this mm -hmm. about? And the gym is a place where the church has not been able, I think, to really inf infiltrate a fertile ground for the gospel to go out. People who work out all the time are, and, and, and also you're in an environment where people's brains are firing with endorphins. So they're just, they're just more open. They're just in a better mood than when you pass by them at a Starbucks and they're on the run between this, that, and the other. Like, I'm so yeah. glad that you are speaking into this lane and into this vein because it's an area where there's very little voices. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. That, that really means a lot. So I kind of want to transition, you know, into, into some more spiritual stuff. I know that we just really hit on that a good bit there. But even just for you, um, I know your story. I know your testimony. A lot of people do. Um, but I think it's something that's so encouraging to people, you know, high school age, college age, even really any age. But specifically for those who are around my age. Um, but can you kind of just explain a little bit about your story? Because I think it's something that's super relatable. And I think that it's yeah, something so that's definitely needed for people to hear so similar to yours, but at a younger age. Uh, I didn't grow up the son of a pastor. I didn't grow up with all the understanding that you talk to a lot of people who are young in ministry. It's like my dad did this and his dad did this for me. Uh, my dad did a lot of stuff with insurance and business stuff. And um, we grew up attending a Southern Baptist church, just kind of went to Sunday school, learned stuff on the side. But I was 13 years old. And this is why I always tell people don't underestimate the age where someone can fully understand the gospel. The Holy Spirit can transcend anything. Me and my friends just caught a vision of Jesus as better than any other option we had for life. And we said yes. I could go into all the details of that, but literally people's lives change when Jesus is understood to be better than any other option. And I saw into the future and I saw I could give my life to popularity, to sports, to money, to the pursuit of whatever this world had to offer me. And with clear vision could see how hollow and light that would be compared to the heaviness and greatness attached to living for the only name and story that truly matters. And so I was 13 and like, God, I'll give you my life. If that means preaching, if that means being a missionary, if that means whatever, I want to pursue you with everything I have. And it's gosh, 20 years now of following Jesus with that kind of resolve hasn't been perfect at all. And there's definitely been challenges and seasons of giving myself over to other idols and other things I had to learn from.
But I know for your story, it's similar. When you get that moment where you finally figure out that every option you have for your life other than Jesus leads to brokenness, you yes, you have a choice, but you almost don't because God opens your eyes to his grace in a way that it's so much better that even if you wanted to not choose it, you couldn't. And so I think if you're, if you're listening right now and you're wondering, like, man, have I had that moment? I think it's similar to the moment Peter had in John chapter 6 when everybody's walking away from Jesus because he, this is after he feeds the 5,000 people. And he's like, okay, I know a lot of you are only following me because I give away free food. So I'm going to say something weird that's going to totally throw you guys off. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm out because uh, I'm not doing the cannibalism thing. And now we know Jesus is pointing to what he's going to do on the cross and the power of communion and the Lord's Supper. But when everybody's confused and walking away, Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, are you going to leave too? And Peter's reply is, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words to eternal life. So I think when you get to the point in your relationship with God where you know that even if you wanted to walk away, you couldn't because he's that engaging and he's captivated your heart that deeply, the Holy Spirit has got you and you're never going to fall out of the hands of your heavenly father because it wasn't your decision that got you there anyway. It was God who held you from the beginning and it's God who's going to sustain you. So with my story, there, there's a level of passion about Jesus wins. We put that all over our church because we like to remind ourselves he's just better. He's better than every other option we have. Why would we waste our lives on anything else? Man, that's so powerful. Well, even even like when you just started saying that, that 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 was the verse that stuck out to me when Peter said, "Where else shall we go for you have the words of eternal life?" And that's seriously one of my one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Even just Peter specifically, like when I think about fitness, when I think about you know what I'm trying to do with this, what the hope of this is, it's when you even think about when Jesus met Peter, he met Peter fishing. So he met Peter and what Peter's mission was at the time, and then Jesus said, "I'm going to make you fishers of men." So so Jesus came in related to Peter in the fishing aspect and then gave him the mission of, you know, going to, going to catch men and going to, you know, be bold in his faith. And even with fitness, like the, an, an, an avenue for, for what I hope this is, it's like it, you relate to people in fitness. So you, 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 you meet them in, in, in what their mission is. And then through that, can it, through that connection, through that relatability, you give them the gospel, which is what Jesus did. And that can be with anything like, that can be with doctors. That can be with, um, you know, teachers. That can be with any any anything that, that that you're doing. If you can relate to people with with their profession or with 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 their hobbies, with their interests, then you can then you can give them the actual mission of going to going to go um, be fishers of men and going to you know be bold in your faith and go and go to proclaim Jesus to everybody. Oh, if we could get the average churchgoer and Christian to just understand that making disciples is that it is not a special program and meeting and study that happens at your church. It is your office. It is your classroom. It is everywhere that you go, just because you go there living with that purpose and mission in mind and being open to any conversation that God might strike up at any point. The problem is for so many of us, we either have to like work ourselves up to even be paying attention or 
we're so out of it that when an opportunity is right in front of us, we're blind to it until after the fact we go, that would have been a really good opportunity to say something about Jesus. I like, this kind of feels weird saying this, but I'll go there. I've had more spiritual conversations with people who are not in church in the sauna or steam room of my gym than anywhere else in Auburn in the last year. Because it's like, well, we're both in here and we're sweating it out after a workout. I don't know why, but the openness to have a spiritual conversation in that context, just because it's like, we didn't set up a time to get coffee. Don't think I'm against coffee because I'm very, I'm very pro. We got, I actually got one right here um, uh, or a lunch or whatever, but it's like, no, go your way on the way, whatever it is that you're doing, paying attention to opportunities that are right in front of your eyes. And the gym yeah. is huge for that. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I even just think about the verse in Acts 8 when, when Peter's with the Ethiopian eunuch and like. This, this even goes to, to, to church stuff, and this is a verse that we talk about a lot of times at, at our ministry that we started at, at our church, but it says that the Ethiopian eunuch was leaving Jerusalem. He had just left worship, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless someone explains, that, unless someone explains it to me? And it says, and beginning with that very passage, he um, explained to him the good news about Jesus, and then he ended up getting baptized. And we even have that mindset of like, so... so Relating that to today, that'd be like someone leaving your church at the stoplight, reading their Bible, and, you know, you just assume that they know what they're doing. But in reality, a lot of people actually have no idea what they're reading. And if we just assume that people are saved, if we just assume, people, if we just assume that they know Jesus, then, well, my point is, if, if you're not going to talk to that person, then you're going to be far less likely to, you know, to talk to someone in the sauna and I think if you just always have that mindset of, I don't care if they're reading, if, if, if they maybe look like they don't know Jesus, I don't know what that look would be like, but whatever, then you just always have to be intentional about that. Because, I mean, we had a quote um, from, this, from this past Sunday service. I can't remember who said it, but it said, um, it was from some, it was a musician or something, but it said, how much would you, he, this guy was an atheist, and the quote was, um, how much would you have to hate someone to not tell them about the option for eternal life? And this guy was an atheist, but even just that idea of like what Peter said, you have the words of eternal life, where else should we go? And we have that. If, if we're a believer and if we put our faith in that, then we, we have eternal life. Um, and we're not going to go share that with people. It's, 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 and, and whether that's because we, we don't know enough scripture, whether we're battling things in our own life, we don't, we don't know if we can go, how can we go tell others about, about Jesus if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm struggling with my own sin? But you really have to look past that and just, you have to just go for it. I mean, whether you don't know the scriptures. And even, I, I think also looking past your own shame as people challenge you to share your faith because there's people who just heard you say that and they're going, ah, I feel bad for how little I share my faith. But they might just be ashamed of the fact that they're surrounded by people who haven't heard them go deeper about their faith and they don't know where to begin because they've, mm-hmm. they've been years in the same spaces, not saying anything about what God's doing in them. I heard Rick Warren on a podcast say last week, he said he recommends what's called apologetic evangelism. Okay, and it's where you essentially apologize to people that you know well by sharing the gospel. So neighbors is a big one. People live around people who they never invite to church. They never say anything about their faith. 
you go to someone who you've lived next to for years and you go, hey, I just, I just want to apologize to you because I realize there is something so important to me that I have never shared with you. And I thought to myself the other day, it's been five years we've lived next to each other. And I still haven't told you about the most important thing in my life. And then, of course, they're like, why are you apologizing? And mm-hmm. and what is it? You all of a sudden got them so ready to hear what you're going to say. You go, it's that Jesus Christ is my everything. I believe he is the son of God and I serve him with my whole life. And I, I just realized I never invited you to church. I never told you about that. And I'm sorry. I didn't tell you about that because I was afraid of what you would think of me. How are they going to respond? They're going to totally disarm your apology with, don't apologize for that. I think that's great. Or actually, I've been curious about things of faith. Or I'm glad you said that. I actually go to so-and-so church. And all of a sudden, you've caught up on five years of missed opportunities just by being willing to say, I'm sorry we haven't talked about this yet. Just redeem the ground the enemy has stolen and go for it. Yeah. No, that's so true. And we always say here, like, your relationship with Jesus, if it truly is the most important, then... You should be able to talk about it like any other normal conversation. Like if I'm married, if I ask you, you know, how, when, when did you and Courtney meet? Where did you meet? How's, how's that been going? Like that's the same, that should be the same thing with Jesus. Like we ask people, you know, about their spouse and they can rattle off all these different things. But then you ask about Jesus and it's like, well, I think it started when I was like, you know, 15 or 16. And, you know, and it's like you, you can't answer these questions, but it's like, that relationship is supposed to be more important than any other relationship, and it should be as natural to us as talking about a friendship or as, as a relationship as, you know, because if it is the highest priority, then it should just come out of us in everything we do. Like, if I, if I had a whole conversation with you about your life lately and you never one time mentioned your wife or your family, like, then I would be like, that's kind of weird, you know? And I think our relationship with Jesus should be just as much talked about as, as these other things in our life. Um, here's a question. Uh, <laughs> what, are, what, are, what, what are some daily practices that you do um, to help lead your family and help lead, lead your marriage? Oh, man, I'm glad you used that word because it's way too foreign in the church today to talk about practices and daily rhythms when in reality, I I believe that's how you become more like Jesus. And so um, for me, there's going to be, yes, a certain amount of workouts and fitness times a week, but there's also going to be one-on-one time with God and making sure that that time has the freedom to look different in different seasons than others. And what I mean by that is there are mornings where I wake up to work out and I'm so sore from the day before and I'm feeling like, I don't know if this is going to be life-giving for me. And I see the chair in the corner of the room and I go, I need to just go read a chapter of scripture and meditate and drink a cup of coffee. But then there are mornings where the opposite happens, where I get up to have time with the Lord and I go, I am, I would so much rather be listening to a podcast and working out right now. And so some of the rhythms that I've put into place are, letting my one-on-one time with God have the freedom to be life-giving and not not apologizing for the way that I feel, but knowing myself that I may know God. That's, that's something St. Augustine said. And Augustine said that because your knowledge of yourself leads you into a greater knowledge of God. And so I just don't allow my emotions today 
to have to be reeled in in order to live in submission to God. I want to acknowledge the way that I feel and be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How does God do that? Well, it looks different. But practices are a rule of life that keep you within a framework that actually works. And so daily time with the Lord, making sure that there are four to five workouts a week that are scheduled before the week even begins. And then another big one is Sabbath. And my wife would would be laughing if she heard me say that right now, because there are times where my Sabbath becomes extra sermon prep time, and that's not okay. But Friday afternoons, I I try to go, okay, I did everything I could do. We're going to take 24 hours from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon, be with the family, not do anything sermon related, not respond to any emails or anything like that, and just be. So the weekly practices of time alone with the Lord making sure you got your workouts, Sabbath. And then another one that I'm implementing now, and I feel even weird sharing this publicly, um, but I think in talking about fitness, this needs to be talked about. Another one is fasting. Um, Mm -hmm. Fasting has become so foreign in the church world today, which is so funny because for most of church history, it was accepted as an essential church, like, discipline, not, not in like church discipline, like getting kicked out, but a discipline that people did spiritually just as much as they did prayer or time with the Lord. And so we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting right now. And on Wednesdays, we're not eating until the sun goes down. And I realize that for some people, that's not a healthy practice because of where they are and their mental health. And that's totally okay. But I, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to not just do that during 21 days of prayer and fasting, but make that a weekly discipline. Because just as much as during your workout, when you push yourself and you're able to do something physically that your mind was telling you that you couldn't do, that is a spiritual reminder that you are not enslaved to what your body tells you it wants. You can actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, tell your soul to do certain things. Going without food, fasting, and replacing that with time with the Lord is the number one discipline for reminding your body that you are not your body slave. Your body is your slave, and the Holy Spirit reigns in you now. So that's a couple of them, and uh, we're actually headed toward a season where we're going to be doing some of those disciplines church-wide, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I do think, you know, I do think fasting is something that we, we overlook a lot of times because I think, I think even sometimes it can get labeled as legalistic or as one of these other things, but I do think that it's such an important practice, and you know, this past week I was on a hunting trip, and one of the things we lo- we were looking through throughout the whole week was uh, Matthew four. After Jesus is is in the wilderness fasting for forty days and forty nights, and then he's being tempted, um, we were just looking at his three responses to um, food. You know, after Satan tempted him with the stones, with power, and with fame, basically, uh, just looking at his three responses. And if we can get to a point in our life where um, Man shall not live on bread alone. Uh, worship, worship um, God and, and serve Him alone. And then I'm drawing a blank on the other one. But if we can get to a point where those are our three responses to everything temptations are thrown at us, um, then 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 we're good. I mean, I don't want to say we're good, but like if we if we can get in that space where 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 we're like that, then we're going to see a, a drastic difference in in our faith. Um, but speaking for and a second, I love that you towards, brought up those verses because if they're in Jesus's arsenal for how to get rid of lies, they should probably be in ours. Those should be some yeah. go-to. I'm ready to defend myself against lies with these. And last point about fasting, I've heard pastors say, 
isn't that just like Satan to tempt Jesus after 40 days of fasting when he's at his weakest? No, no. Jesus was not at his weakest after 40 days of fasting. He was actually at the pinnacle of his strength because yeah. fasting takes you to a whole nother level of connection with God. He, he was not at his weakest point to take on Satan. He was in his strongest clarity of mind because he had starved his flesh and was totally in tune with the voice of his father. And even that story is just so cool because when he comes, you know, he tempts him with basically his identity with, are you really, if, if, if you are the son of God, um, which I just love, I love that whole, that whole chapter. But speaking, speaking for a second, just towards, you know, your church, primarily, I don't know what percentage it is, but predominantly you lead a, a movement of college students. Um, what is something about their faith that encourages you? One, and then the second part, what is something that you feel like needs to be seriously worked on? Oh, that is a great question. It's a phenomenal question. Okay, so we're probably we're probably fifty percent college students. So a lot of them. We have a strong local community church here, but we just so happen to have thousands of college students that call this church home. And so I've I've gotten to pay attention to what their generation is processing through, and and I feel so strongly about these two things. What am I encouraged by? I am probably the most encouraged by their genuine love and understanding for how lonely and depressed a lot of other people in their generation are. There is such a genuine love. Romans 12 says, let your love be sincere. And they understand what it's like to be isolated and on your phone and believing lies. They're so compassionate toward people who are thinking about taking their life. They just want to make sure their peers are okay. Like when I made the comment about fasting and I said, hey, if you're mentally not in a good spot to fast, don't do that. We want to set you up with a counselor. They clapped because they were like, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for making sure everybody in here doesn't believe the lie that they're a second-rate Christian if they can't fast because they're battling with an eating disorder. Like There is such a genuine understanding of the seriousness of mental health that they're looking out for each other, and they're willing to be there for each other and encourage one another. I looked around at church the other day and just thought, you guys genuinely love well, and you always have room for one more. The clickiness of college ministry has started to die down in a we always got room for one more, regardless of what your background is, because they're tired of seeing their friends take their own life. So that's a big, big sense of encouragement. The yeah. discouragement. And this is, this is a big one, equally as big. I am very discouraged by the lack of courage that I see. What I mean by that is that this generation is used to having five different options for what they're going to do on Friday night and waiting to the last minute to commit. So noncommittal, so flaky because of FOMO and because they don't want to miss out. It's like, I got to keep my options open. Well, following Jesus and acting on bold faith usually involves a level of resolve where you go, this is what I'm doing. Regardless of what the consequences are, I'm jumping all in. And so what I've noticed yeah. is we have a lot of people who are very passionate about Jesus but they still want to leave other options open, still want to leave that line open in case she texts me again, still want to leave that former job open in case this bold endeavor doesn't work out. There's not a lot of genuine bet it all on Jesus courage. And the reason why that is a tragedy is because without that, you don't get the amazing stories of God coming through. Like yeah. You don't get the son of man in the fiery furnace if you don't have the boldness to say, 
hey, we're not bowing down to those idols regardless of where you throw us. And so we're missing out on knowing Jesus intimately, deeply, and personally because we haven't given him an opportunity to come through on the back end of boldly putting him on the spot and going, if God is real, he's going to have to come through for me. And there, there's a lot of flakiness and a lot of, well, I just want to, I mean, I, I, I'm in if I'm at a Christian conference, but when it's Friday yeah. night and I don't want to miss out, I don't know. So I hope <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Well, no, that makes complete sense because that was me for a while. <laughs> for a while. So it took me, it took me, um, you know, a while. I don't say a while, but when I, when I finally had that moment of, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be flaky. I don't want to be one, one foot in, one foot out. I want to be fully all in. That was, that was really when I saw my life took a, took a drastic turn and I just started enjoying, you know, things of God more. But last, last question I want to ask you real quick before we get into the challenges. Um, just because, you know, three of my last four guests have been pastors and we all have struggles. We all have things we walk through, but what would you, what would you say to somebody listening who, you know, just kind of sees a pastor, sees someone leading a, leading a movement, leading a ministry, and just kind of assumes that they don't have struggles, that they don't walk through temptations that similarly to they walk through. Um, what would you say to that person and, and maybe encourage them? You know, if it didn't, if it didn't sound like total self-promotion, I would say follow the Auburn Community Church podcast and, and listen to what's happening here. Listen, there's, um, there's an end of the road coming for the era of Christian leaders being in front of masses of people and going, I look, I gave everything to Jesus. Look how great my life is. Don't you want my life? Do what I did. People are losing their taste for that type of leadership and they're starving for a realness and a vulnerability that says, I'm struggling and I, I might be struggling worse than you are. So mm-hmm. um, I, I I could give you a lot of examples right now, but my track record, if you follow along with our church, I know a lot of you are probably learning who I am and who our church is for the first time. If you follow voices that are consistently humble and don't preach like they are the hero in God's story, I think you'll see a lot more of a connection to those voices than some of the more prominent voices of the last few decades that have been all about, look at what I did and look at my awesome, cute family and my huge church and my car and my, it's just over. Like people are so over that. I said that at a, at a conference a couple of weeks ago and the college students stood to their feet applauding almost like, thank you. We don't want my life is perfect. Come be like me anymore. We just want somebody to tell us like it is. My kids are so cute. My wife is amazing. Our church is huge. I can't deny all of those blessings, but at the same time, there's a broken, sinful, inconsistent, hurting human being who looks to the word of God every week to find, sometimes find a way just to make it through the week. So just as much as things have gone well and God's blessed it, man, it's hard. I get discouraged. I go through bouts with anxiety I have old sin patterns that pop up. I have stuff I have to confess. Even the days that I preach, sometimes I have to go to people and confess my sins, which is extremely humbling. So my advice would be to make sure the voices that are your shepherding, like voices, I know Jesus is a good shepherd, but the voices who you entrust your life to, the podcast that you listen to, make sure the message is not, I'm the hero, do what I did. Make sure the message is, I'm broken, but here's what I'm learning. 
Yeah, no, I think that's so good. Um, well, first off, thanks for sharing that because I do, I do think, you know, there can be something in um, the a spirit of something where you see someone who has notoriety, you see somebody who's leading this, and you can just be kind of quick to assume that that it's unrelatable in the, in the sense of, you know, they don't struggle with lustful thoughts, they don't struggle with pride, they don't struggle with um, envy and, and jealousy, they don't struggle with these things. But the reality is, you know, we all to some extent, do struggle with that. And just because you reach a certain part or, or God's entrusted you with something does not mean that those temptations or does not mean that those struggles go away. But uh, a lot of times it mean it, it really just is, they, it magnifies them, honestly. It you know, increases the in intensity of the struggle, no doubt. And I, I used to heard, I used to heard, I used to hear people say that and I would go, oh, you're just saying that. But then being a part of something that's growing, like it's so true. You think, getting to a certain level of your goals or ambitions is going to lighten the load of your private struggles or things that nobody else knows about. It does not make them go away. It only increases their intensity. And I know you know that, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, even, even shoot, man, two months ago or a month, whenever, whenever this was launching, like I was so easily angered. I was so quick tempered. I would, I would snap at Sadie for little stupid things. And I literally would just have to go back and pray. And I'd be like, why like I have not struggled with these little annoyances and in, in, in forever and it's like the moment that I'm about to step in, into doing something that I feel like is going to really help people I, I'm, I'm falling back into these old sin patterns and I can even just see in my life when I'm about to step into something and when I feel like God's about to use me or Sadie or, or both us, us both together you know we can be quick to get an, or annoyed at one another I can be less patient with her I can be less patient with honey and I even just saw that a month ago and I was launching this of uh, man, I am I am being way less patient than I was um, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. I'm being far far more easily angered and um, less humble in, in these different aspects. Yeah. So it's definitely something that I've been walking with through. You. Totally with you. Well, um, I want to wrap up the podcast with our staple. Um, well, first off, man, thanks so much, seriously, for everything that you've shared. I, I know that it's really going to encourage so many people and, and challenge them, but also bless them. And um, you speak with such humility, but also with um, conviction. So I'm thankful for you and the impact that you've had on me. Um, Thank you. So real quick, physical challenge and a spiritual challenge for us to go out and do this week. I want to hear them from you. All right, I'm excited about this. I'm going to start with spiritual. Um so like working out, time with the Lord can be something that it sounds like everybody does every day, but when you become inconsistent, you you ignore that area of your life because you're going, even if I did pick my Bible back up, I wouldn't know where to begin. One of the best books in the Bible to just kind of jumpstart your times with the Lord, I think is the book of Proverbs. And so my challenge for you this week, especially if it's been a while since you've had one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord is to read the proverb that corresponds with the date every day. So today, we're recording this on January 25th, you would read Proverbs 25. The great thing is there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and in any given month, you have a chapter that you could be reading that day. And Proverbs is the book of wisdom written by Solomon. So many good thoughts and things to consider there. Not a place that you want to land on entirely and never go anywhere else, but just a spot this week. If it's been a while since you've had time with the Lord, every day, 
the proverb that corresponds with that date, I think would be amazing. And Proverbs was actually the foundation of my time with the Lord when I was young. I made like a Proverbs sheet on, I don't even know if it was called Microsoft Word back then. Um, but the Proverbs are awesome. Spiritual, spiritual challenge down, physical challenge. Here, here we go. I want to challenge you to do my favorite workout. And Christian's done it with me before. It takes anywhere between 30 and 50 minutes, depending on how much weight you put on and how you go about it. It's called Deck of Cards. And the way you do Deck of Cards, and there's been variations of this through CrossFit or many different forms, but take a full deck of cards, jokers included, bring it to your workout and shuffle it up. Before you start your workout, assign each card to a different lift or cardio workout. Here's what I mean. All of your suits, so hearts, spades, diamonds, and clubs are going to mean a different lift. So for me, heart is always bench press. Diamond is always curls. Club is always power clean. And spades is always deadlift. You want to go ahead, and you need space to be able to do this, but you want to go ahead and put the weights that you want on those different workouts. Then, jack, queen, king, ace are all some type of cardio workout. So the jack is going to be 11 burpees or 11 pull-ups, depending on if you have a pull-up bar. The queen is going to be 12 box jumps. The king is going to be 13 kettlebell swings, and the ace is going to be 14 sit-ups. Then, both jokers are going to be a .25 sprint. So that's just one lap. 0.25 sprint. I'm telling you, if you write all that on a note card or on a sticky note right next to your deck of cards, it sounds like what I just proposed is crazy and that's so many different lifts and that would take forever. Or that would be exhausting. It is the best workout for your total body. You will be dead by the end of it. If you want to go easier, go easier on the weights that you put on, but your whole body will get covered. It'll be an awesome, awesome uh, cardio workout as well. So deck of cards, try it out. Well, there you go, deck of cards. And so if it's if it's like two of diamonds versus eight of diamonds, you might have explained this, but doesn't 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 the rep scheme the reps? Yeah, yeah. The, the rep that, is, is the number same? that you pull. So yeah, if you okay, pull the so ten far. of diamonds, that's ten um, curls. If you pull the eight of hearts, that's eight bench press. So you okay. go with the number that you pull as you go, and that leads to an ebb and flow of sometimes you're only doing three reps, and that's great. You're moving quick. You pull an eight, a nine, and a ten, and you're doing a lot more. So it's a good mixture. I was about to say, if you, if, if you, if you do a bad shuffle job, you could have eight of hearts, seven hearts, and six of hearts. So you might need to – It does. You might need, to get, you might need to get and, a good and shuffle. If you really are going to do it, I would recommend pulling three cards at a time just so you can – you can go, okay, I'm going to do that one, that one, that one. You're not just coming back to the deck every time you do one thing. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm going to do it. And everyone it's that so listens, good. I hope you do it too. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's so good. Well, man, seriously, thank you so much for joining me today. I love you and I'm thankful I'm for you. to be here. Love you. Love your family. I just, I'm blown away that college student from Auburn, Alabama, who said yes to Jesus's purpose on his life. And now you're leading so many others. It's amazing to witness and you're doing a good thing here.